Well, Bloomington Bible Church, it's an honor and a privilege to bring you God's Word this morning. But before I do that, um, I do have a short uh, note from the elders. Nothing to be concerned about. These things just happen. Uh, but we did want to let you know that um, our pastor, Josh, uh, has been struggling physically as of late, you know, and has been for some time. Um, and therefore, the elders, uh, we've decided for just for a few weeks, and then we'll kind of see how it goes to um, relieve him from preaching duties. So he'll be off from preaching for a few weeks. So therefore, uh, Joel and I will be taking some of that work, um, and we're thankful for the opportunity. So for the near future, again, you know, pray for him, but just hopefully for the next few weeks, um, you know, he'll be relieved from preaching. And so um, definitely just I'll also let you know so that you could be holding him in your prayers. Um, and also, just so that you know, um, there will probably be opportunities for us as a church to be able to step up and to be able to serve um, their family. As we know, they've, uh, they're going through a lot right now, and it's, it's hard, but God is good. And this is not something to be alarmed. This is just another opportunity that we get to serve one another. So, um, yeah, why don't we go ahead and just pray for the nips right now for one second. Uh, most Holy Father, we thank you for... Um, the fact that you are strong and you are um, a God who is with us in uh, weaknesses, Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, that in this season uh, that you would reveal your strength, that you would be um, doing great things in the hearts of Josh, Rachel, Elijah, Caleb, Selah, Anya, Lord, that you would be with them, that you would sustain them. And Father, would you as a church just give us hearts that want to love them and shower them with, um, just with blessing and with our love and with our affection. Thank you for the ways in which they've given their lives to us, and I just pray that we would do the same for them, and uh, we thank you for um, the fact that we can step up and serve them, and Lord, I pray that you would be gracious and kind to them at this time. Thank you that, uh, Lord, Josh will continue to serve, uh, that he continues to be our pastor and continues to um, help us and bear that authority over us, um, and yet, Lord, pray that you would just be gracious and that this time would be a help to their family. Would you be kind to them in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Well, um, this morning, we are also starting a new series. So if you would, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Um, if you need help finding it, just go to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Um, we are starting a series where we're going to go through Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11. 1 through 11. Um, I don't think we have a title for the series that we're going through right now. Uh, we're, we're not great at those things. But... Um, a lot of the things that we're going to be covering, especially today, will be foundational of our, foundations of our faith. So the things that we're going to talk about are foundational to our faith. And if you guys know, you know, we just bought a house a few weeks back. I've been thinking a lot about a house. So I've been thinking a lot about foundations. This week, even, we had people come and do foundation work on our house because the walls needed it. I wish I had a picture for you guys now in hindsight thinking that would have been helpful because we had walls that had been moved as far as two inches you know, from where they were supposed to be because of the pressure from outside, tree, tree roots, you know, water and so forth, a lot of the things putting pressure on the foundation of the house. And so when you're buying a house like that, obviously there's a sense of like, concern for you and like, you know, is my house going to like stand? And so in a similar way, okay, in a similar way, just like a house needs its firm foundation, if it wants to stand, if it wants to be firm, okay, we need a firm foundation in our faith if we want our faith to so much of our understanding of Scripture and of God and of ourselves really, really depends on the fact that we have the foundational things straight. 
And so this morning, we're going to be looking at just five foundational truths that are found in Genesis 1. So five foundational truths that are found in Genesis 1. Um, but before we do that, let's go again to God in prayer, ask for his help. Most heavenly Father, we ask for your help in these things. Lord, we are weak. I'm weak. That you are the God of all wisdom, and you are a helper to us. Would you reveal, would you open our eyes to see your word, to behold your word? Would you help our hearts to understand, to apply, and to really take hold of these truths? Lord, that we would live as you made us, not as we want to live, but as you called us to live. And so, Father, would you be with us this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, first, God reveals some aspects of himself. And the very first thing that I want you guys to see is that God is the creator. So the first truth is that God is the creator. And this is the first thing we learn about God. And this is the thing that basically the whole sermon is going to be based off of. Because Genesis 1 tells us that God created the world. Let's read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was God who created the heavens and the earth. God is the one who occupies a position that no one else possesses. Who made you? Okay, ask yourself, who made you? It is God. And what else did God make? All things. Okay, these are good questions for your kids to know and to learn. It's a good place for even your kids to start out thinking about God. And why, why is that? Okay, why is that a good place to start? It's because that's where we start. It's where Scripture starts. The first place that we come to understand God, the first way that we come to understand our God is that he's our creator. That is the first sense in which we understand there's a God. Before we even know him as our redeemer, we have to understand him as our creator. And why? It's because only when we recognize that he made us and we are under him as his creatures, only then will we understand our responsibility to him. And therefore, a responsibility and how we fail them. Okay? If you don't know that you have a responsibility towards God, you will not understand that you failed them and that you need a Savior. And so if you do not know that God made you, and you do not know for what purpose, you're not even going to understand why you need saved in the first place. Now the world hates this. Okay? The world hates this idea that there is a creator and that God is the creator. And we'll see why more, but the world's in rebellion against this. And really, the main reason is because we, want, we don't want to acknowledge that we are responsible to somebody else, to our God. We want to be responsible for our own selves. We want to determine our life and our futures. So God is the creator. Okay, why does this matter? There's so much that can be said about this, right? There's just so much that can be said about Genesis 1. Okay, you can go and say, talk about his power. Okay, just by the word of his power, he made all things. You can talk about his wisdom. You can talk about his sustaining power, how he made all things, how everything depends on him. But I want to really focus on his authority. The fact that God is our creator means that he has authority. He is the one who determines the directions and the boundaries of this world. But before I get there, let me take a quick side note, because it's just so prevalent in the world. And I want to contrast this with the doctrine of evolution. Okay? The doctrine of evolution, it fails to acknowledge God's role as creator. And therefore, we have to understand that it is a failed doctrine. Evolution claims that we are here for absolutely no reason. Okay? We're just here, products of random chance. But that is not true. From the beginning, we see that God made all things, and he made them for a reason and a purpose. 
And that purpose is that everything points to the Creator. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Read Psalm 96 sometime this week when you have the chance. Psalm 96, and you see how all of creation is to point us to God, the fact that we have somebody who made us. And so the doctrine of evolution stands opposed to God's word. Okay, so much for that. Let's go back to authority. God is the one who determines the direction and the boundaries of this world. And God made all things, so only he has the power and authority to determine that. So why does this matter, especially for you young ones? Okay, if you're here and you're still young, you're determining many different things about you. Do not live as if you are your ultimate authority. Because guess what? You are not. You are subordinate to your maker. And you're completely dependent on him. He determines how you are to live and what you are to live for. So young ones especially, seek your creator. As you're thinking about what the world wants you to be, what your parents want you to be, what you want to do. Don't just stop there, but first and foremost, seek your creator. How has he made you? What has he called you for? Everything depends on an understanding of this. So God is our creator, and he has authority. Okay, and the second thing we're going to learn about God and his authority is, um, what kind of authority is he? Right? Because the fact that God made all things, that's enough. The fact that God made us, that is enough for us to have to submit to him. We all know internally Everybody has this innate knowing and understanding that we owe something to our maker. We are responsible to our maker. And so it really doesn't matter what kind of authority he is. We would have to submit to him, right? Just like if you were a servant and you lived under a harsh master, you would have to submit to that harsh master because he is your authority. You are under him. But the beautiful thing is that we know what kind of authority God is. And he isn't just a powerful God. He's a good God. He's a good authority. Okay, God actually compels us to serve and worship him with his goodness toward us. He didn't have to be, but he reveals his glory and his goodness to us. And that is gracious of our God. So the thing, second thing we learn about God is that he is the source of all good. God is the creator. Number two, God is the source of all good. Turn with me here in Genesis Let's read a couple of verses, and we're just going to repeat, just for emphasis. Um, but verse 4, it says, And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Go verse 10. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Okay, are you seeing the pattern here? We could keep going. 17, 18, 21, 25. But especially let's get to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. It was very good. And there was morning and there was evening, the sixth day. So God is good. He made all things good. So why does this matter? Why does it matter? Well, you ask yourself, really, the question, the, the question at hand is, what will he do me good? Right? We recognize that there's a God. We submit to him. But will he do you good? 
and recognize that he already has. That's what I want you to see, church. Will God do you good? He already has done you good. No matter who you are, God has already treated you with compassion. And so will he stop? Has God stopped being good? Has God making good, stopped making good things after Genesis 1? No, all of Scripture testifies to his goodness. And all of our experiences testify that God continues to be good to his people. The same God who made all things continues to work for the benefit of his children. In fact, we see this in Genesis 1. All of creation, okay? He made all of creation specifically for mankind to thrive. He made light, he made vegetation, he made the water, he made the animals, he made all things to be able to serve Adam. And so God has made this world for his glory, yes, as we'll see here in a second, but also for our enjoyment, for the fact that we would be nourished. God made everything with us in mind. He made every single thing. He prepared every single day. He made one specific aspect so that Adam would be able to live on this world and thrive. It made for a substance, sustenance. So God has already created everything for your good. Again, this is foundational. This is why Paul can say with certainty, right? And everything, all of scripture points back to itself. Is that Paul can say that all things work together for good to those who love God. Hey, God has not stopped doing you good. He continues to shower his people with goodness. And so even in afflictions, okay, even in the middle of your hard times, when it seems hard, I want you to recognize that God continues to be good in the midst of it. God is not done with you in your trial. Imagine if you had just stopped after day one, right? God made light, separated light from the, the darkness, and you had just stopped there. Yeah? You still have a formless void, you know, of earth. Now we have light and night. Well, it's a little bit better, but, you know, there's still so much that we need. That's not quite good for me. What if you had just stopped after day one? Then you, you would be tempted to say, well, God is not, you know, doesn't even doesn't have the power doesn't want to be good to me do not stop okay do not in your afflictions do not just stop and say god has ceased being good to me god is not done with you recognize that god continues to be at work and will accomplish a good purpose in your life trust him in his process in the midst of your afflictions he is bringing you to a good place that is good church one more reason why this matters why does it matter that God is the source of all good? It matters because God is the judge of good and evil. Okay, and this is so important for the world that we live in today. Because I do not want you to look at your circumstances and quickly run to say that God is being unfair or evil. And I don't want you to look at the world and try to see, well, they think this is good. They think this is bad. Do not base your standard for goodness and evil from the world. Look to God. Look to his creation. Remember, your place as a created being. And so do not let your friends, do not let the world determine what's good and what's bad, but stand upon what's true. And that is the word of God. So God has made us, and that is good. He's our authority. He made us, and so why should we glorify him? Okay, another question. You can kind of walk through your children and talk to them. Why should you glorify God? Because he made me. He takes care of me, okay? We glorify God because he made me. We're his creatures. And not just that, he takes care of me. He's been kind to me. So we learn some things also about ourselves and the way that God made us. Okay, third thing I want you to see, third foundational truth is that God made you in his image. God made every single one of you in his image. Let's read that in verses 26 and 27. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, hear the repetition. How many times does God tell us at the beginning that he made us in his image, in his likeness? Okay, God wants this imprinted upon you. He made you to reflect his glory. God tells us a lot about who we are and how we are to live. And we've already seen that all of creation points to our creator. All of creation points to God. You are his creation, and so therefore, that includes you. You are to point to God. You are to point to Christ. Okay, Isaiah 43, 7 tells us, everyone, this is God speaking, saying, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God made you in his image to reveal his glory. Think about this. God has put mankind in a position far above that of the animals. He made all things, but mankind was his special treasured possession. And so you occupy the highest place of honor among God's creation here on earth. And you, in the way that he created you, you more clearly display God's glory through your life. Okay, think about it. God could have chosen any way to reveal his glory. He could have chosen to reveal his glory really prominently in many different things, but yet he chose you. He chose to reflect his glory most clearly through you and how he made you. He chose you. And now it's your soul that resembles God more closely than anything else in all creation. That is such an honor. Your soul resembles God closer than anything else that he has made. Calvin says it this way, but I think it's just so helpful. It's, Calvin says, man is where God wanted his glory to shine. Man is where God wanted his glory to shine. That is such a privilege, right? That is such a privilege. And yet that is also such a shame because we know that we don't live as that. We know that we live in rebellion to that. We do not live as we should. I mean, think, let's just look out around in Bloomington. Look to Bloomington right now. Do you see God's glory displayed in Bloomington? You know, you don't as you should, that's for sure. And the reality is because of our sin nature, of the fact that we are fallen, you know, the way that God's glory has been displayed has been clouded over us. And that is why God had to send the perfect man, the God man, Jesus, who was the perfect imprint, the exact imprint, okay? We are like, you know, shadows of God's image. Christ was the exact imprint of God's nature. He is God himself. And in his human body, he defeated the power of sin, and now we're no longer captive to it. And now, because of Jesus, we can live as God intended us to live. And so it is through the Spirit that we are actually helped to live and to imitate and to reflect God's glory in a way that our sin nature wants to work against us. It is through his Spirit. He is renewing us into the image of Christ every single day. And again, just think about it again. Everything in Scripture comes back together. We're our sanctification. We're becoming more and more like Christ. What is that more than we're just becoming more and more like being created in His image? We're returning to that um, purpose that God had made in which He made us in His image. We're becoming more like Christ, becoming more like God, how He made us from the beginning. And so we're sanctified. So I want you to recognize, church, you did not create yourself. This has great implications. You did not create yourself. Why does this matter? 
Again, it matters because you were made with a purpose. You are here for a reason. You don't just live here to get by. You're not just living here so that for your own pleasure and enjoyment. God's word testifies that you have been given the highest purpose in all of creation. The highest purpose is to imitate him, to reveal his glory to all the world. When God imprinted you with his glory, you were called to bring glory to God in everything that you do. In every single aspect of your life, you are to bring glory to God. Remember this. You are to bear God's image all over the world. And God, what he wants, okay, when, he, when he looked at the world, what he wants is for the world to be full of image bearers, for us to be able to imitate, imitate him and reflect his glory and be his representatives. So you are to live for the glory of God. That is your purpose, church. That is the most foundational thing that you have to learn about what you are to do and how you are to live. You are to live in all things, bring glory to God. In your work, in your relationships, bring glory to your creator. But now, that sounds nice, right? Maybe you've heard that before. Question is, well, Esteban, how do we do that? Okay, like, how do we do that? There's just so many ways I could do it. Well, let me give you a couple um, pointers here. How can we glorify God? Well, we glorify God by loving and obeying him. Okay? We glorify God by loving and obeying him. And one way that means is that we gladly submit to the boundaries that he has set for us. So God is our creator. He sets our boundaries. Okay? He sets boundaries for how we are to operate. Just like the creator, you know, if somebody goes and makes a fridge, he says, okay, this is about how hot, how cold it can get. This is about how warm it can get. It sets boundaries for that. It's a weird analogy, but it is what came to mind. Um, God, in the same way, he sets the boundaries for the world. He sets the boundaries for the sun and the moon, right? We see this in verse 16. Let me read that. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Okay, he has given the star, even, even the stars and the sun and the night, they have boundaries, He's given boundaries to, um, lost my place here, boundaries to the waters, right? He sets, you know, where the waters are to stop. He even gives animals boundaries to abide by. Right? He makes some animals to fly, some animals to live underwater, some animals to live on the earth. He gives the boundaries. They are not to fly. Even penguins who are birds are not called to fly. That is how God made them. He has given them a boundary. And so in the same way, God has given you boundaries. And one of the most foundational and fundamental boundaries that he's given you is that he has given you a sex in the way that he has created you. So the fourth thing I want you to see, and I want you to see it for yourself, is that God made you male or female. God made, made us male and female. Okay? Verse 27, let me read it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so let me say one more thing. God made us with boundaries. He also is a God of distinctions. He's also a God of distinctions. We see that here in our passage too. He made the day to be separate from the night. He made the sun and the moon to be distinct from one another. He made, in the, just in the same way, right? He made a distinction between men and women. And these boundaries, these distinctions, are part of God's good created order. Okay, when God saw even, God, made, God himself made that distinction. We don't, think, we don't create that distinction. We don't determine what this distinction means. God does. 
And when God saw that, verse 31, he says that all things were very good, even the distinction between male and female. So just like God made the sun and the moon to function differently, God made men and women differently, and therefore different, uh, to function differently at a foundational level. This is, again, sometimes, you know, truth and what God's word says is the most obvious thing to us, and yet it's sometimes one of the hardest things to proclaim because the world stands against it, right? It should be one of the most obvious things to see that men and women are different. We should just recognize that. But yet, right, this is one of the most controversial things you can say today, right? You go into your workplace, into your class, and you say that there's a difference between men and women, and people will try to lynch you. But even our eyes specify that this is what's true, okay? No matter where you go to on earth, we know that this is true. There's a fundamental difference. And the thing is, there's not just a difference for no purpose. God made us differently so that we could glorify him in the way that he has made us. Which means that if God made you a man, you are to act like a man and bring glory to God that way. And if God made you a woman, you are to bring glory to God by acting like a woman. These things actually mean something. In our world, let me just stop and kind of harp on this for a little bit. Okay? The world is completely upside down on this right now. The world right now will tell you that there's just no such thing as male or female, right? There's just no such thing. This is just a social construct. Um, you know, the world will tell you that you're the one who gets to decide, well, you know, what is maleness, what is femaleness, is whatever it means to you, right? Whatever it means to you. You make of it whatever you want. That is what we're told. The world will tell you that women can do anything men can do. And that men can do anything women can do. Even get pregnant today, you know? Foolishness. Okay, this is really harmful ideology. This really harms how you view God and how you view yourself. This is not good. This is not promoting good order. This stands against what God made you to be. It stands in clear opposition to God's word. And I want you to see this and insist on this, church. Do not fall trapped to the world. Just like my foundation, my wall, kept getting pressure and pressure and therefore was budging and needed firming and strengthening, this is what today is, okay? I recognize the pressure from the world. I recognize the pressure from your classmates, from your families, from your employers. There's pressure from the outside pushing us to cave on these things. But God's word is true, and I want to affirm you and strengthen you so that you would be able to stand, so that the things that matter would not buckle under pressure. The world is trying to convince you, right? You don't have to live by the bounds of your sex. And they just want to eliminate that distinction. They just want to make everything the same. They say your sex shouldn't determine anything about you and what you do. And they'll say, well, this is because it just limits your potential, right? You know, why would you want to be limited and bounded by something when you just have unlimited potential inside of you? But that's, again, it's just foolish. Even animals know that we have times and we have limitations. The animals know this. This is clear to them, and yet we are just, we think that we're above God and our creator, okay? And remember, your position as a created being means that you are not your own master. You're bound to rules and limitations. And the easiest way you can see this as an illustration is let's think of sleep, okay? Let's think of sleep. We're all praised, and we all know, right? We all, we all know we need at least eight hours of sleep a night or you're not going to function very well. Well, what if we took the same, you know, concept that we take when thinking about men and women and say, well, you know, that limits my potential. That doesn't really matter. I should be able to do what I want. Well, I'm going to do the same thing with sleep, right? You know, I don't need sleep. 
That's eight hours of wasted time. Think about how much more I could accomplish for the world. The world would be such a better place if I could just do so much more in those eight hours, right? I don't have to go to sleep. I can do what I want. I have potential inside of myself. I just have to find it, right? Imagine if you were trying to say that sleep was just limiting you. That would be a terrible idea, okay? If you say I'm going to go without sleep, that would be an awful idea. And, and I know that there's even ideologies there where you can go with like you sleep for 10 minutes here and you sleep for an hour. God made you to rest, okay? And we, rec- we all recognize that's good. We're praised when we value our sleep even today because we know that that's good. Well, you should prioritize that God, if God made you to sleep, God also made you to be a man or a woman. Recognize that. That's how he has wired you. And so I want you to live according to that. When you rebel against God in your sleep, that goes poorly for you. It is the same thing when you refuse to live according to your sex. It's harmful for you and your body and your testimony to God. And so God expects you to live according to your sex. That's what I want you to get, okay? And I want you to see that, and I don't want you to minimize this, male and female are different, and both, both point to our creator. In our differences, we point to our creator. And so if you are a man and you refuse to live as a man, you are robbing God of that glory. And if you are a woman and you refuse to live as a woman, you are robbing God of that glory because God made you in his sex to actually glorify him. So treasure those differences, church. Don't muddy muddy the waters. And this means something, okay? This actually, this is not just talking. Maybe it's the last thing I'll say about this. I don't know. Now I'm on this track. This means something. Even the church is off on this. Okay, we'll say, and we'll, we'll admit, okay, yes, there's a difference. Men and women are different. You know, I'm called to be a man of God. I'm called to be a woman of God. And then you ask them, well, what does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm called to be kind. Aren't we all called to be kind? Like, when you actually get, dig deeper and you recognize, well, what does it mean to be a man or a woman? Like, it actually means something. And that's what I want you to see. And I'm not going to go very deep into this. But I want you to see that as a general pattern, okay, men are called to be strong. Men are called to be strong. So it is not fitting, right, for a woman to be, seek to be the strong one. Likewise, men are, women are called to be and made to be nurturers and encouragers in such a way that men just cannot do. They're not made to be. It's not fitting for them. Secondly, as a general pattern, right, men are called to rule and lead, to rule and to lead men. And women are called to submit and to come under male leadership. This is the pattern of scripture. Okay? We don't apologize for it. We bring it as forth as a good creator order. And so it really should feel wrong for us when a woman is trying to take leadership over men. Just as it should feel weird for us and strange for us, and this is just not right, when a man is trying to abdicate his responsibility. Man is called to be responsible. And so don't resent your, your differences and the limitations that come with your sex. Did we cover that well, church? Good. Let's move on to the last point. God made us in his image. Um, and how do we glorify him? In Genesis 1, he gives us two marching orders. Two very clear marching orders, right? Because you can be doing so many things. You can do so many things to glorify God. How do you know if you're actually spending your time in the things that are, worth most, that are most worthwhile? God has given you two foundational orders, and let's read in verse 28. And God blessed them, 
And God said to them, here they come, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the heaven, over the fish of the sea and over the, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God has given you two foundational orders. Okay, the first one, let's look into it just quickly. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. God desires that you would multiply on this earth. Okay, that is, he made you. It's a general pattern. He wants people to be able to multiply and bear, more, bear fruit. And why is that? Why would God want that? It's because he wants image bearers to fill this earth. He wants his glory revealed all over the world and all over creation, and he made mankind to be the avenue and the vessel for it. And so we have the privilege to bear children who will further reflect God's image. This is such a privilege that God allows mankind to experience. And I want you to see that this is something you should seek. You should seek this. God has called you to this. Because the world will tell you that children are not a blessing, right? We see children in the world more of as a burden, something that we put up with. The world will tell you that children are not as important, right, as a successful career or as financial freedom, okay? It is well, maybe a good thing if you want to do it. That's fine. But inherently, children are not necessarily good. It can be a good choice if you want it. You know, the world will tell you, right, and this is just so silly to me, um, they will tell you that children are a burden upon the environment, and so we should stop having so many children. But that is not how Scripture talks about children. God actually wants the world to be filled, to be full of his glory. And so God would have us to fill this earth with our children that would glorify God. Think about it. Children actually are a result of God's blessing. That's how Bi the Bible speaks about it. They are a joy. They are a stronghold to parents. They're like arrows in, the ba in a battle. And so this command, I want you to see, church, this still applies to us today. This command that God made from the beginning, how he has made us, has not changed. It is foundational. And so he desires that we would be fruitful, and that definitely applies to having children. We cannot get away from that. And so I want to encourage you, church. You've taken the, the encouragement and the exhortations of a pastor seriously, and you, I want to encourage you, you have taken, had faith to have children. I commend you for that. That is, God has been good and kind to us, and we see that through our children. May we be blessed with more, right? May we be blessed with more. But now, maybe you young ones, right? Maybe you're sitting here, and you're like, I'm single. I don't have a way to multiply myself. You shouldn't, in fact, multiply yourself because you're still single, you know? How am I to obey this? What am I supposed to do? Well, in, in a certain sense, I do want you to think, Okay, if you're single, you have more time to devote to God. How can you actually be fruitful? Does that cross your mind? How can you be fruitful in your singleness right now? In your work, in your classes, how can you be fruitful towards God? How can you put the things that you're working towards to actually bear fruit and glory for God? And then secondly, okay, because I do not want you to, to miss this, is... Um, how can you orient your life, even today, even now, okay, how can you right now treasure the fact that God made us to have children and work towards that? Don't put obstacles, basically what I'm saying, don't put obstacles in your way of being obedient to Christ and bearing fruit, okay? Don't put obstacles, don't go into a path that will actually prevent you from being faithful to God in this. How can you orient your life 
So the ch you see children as a blessing, and you actually allow yourself to be able to have them and bear them and grow them. And I know for some of you, right, some of you, um, you've longed for a spouse for a long time. You've prayed for one, and God has not provided a spouse for you yet. And I want you to know you are seeking a good thing, so don't stop seeking that good thing. But I want you to trust. Again, we're seeing that God is good. His process is good. So trust in God's good timing and process. Be fruitful and multiply. And secondly, subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Subdue the earth and have dominion over it. God has appointed you with a position of dominion over his creatures. So what does that mean? Okay. It can, there's a lot, of, again, I could say a lot about this command right here. But what I want to imprint upon you this morning is that subduing the earth and having dominion means that we are to work to see God's will realized on earth. Okay, so we are to work, we are to apply ourselves to see God's will realized here on earth. It can be so easy and so tempting, and I'm with you. It's just so easy to just see the wickedness of the world, right? See what's outside. And, of course, we're completely disregarding the wickedness inside. But for now, we'll just say, just see the stuff out, happening outside, and you just want to shelter yourself. You want to shelter your family and say, what's happening out there, it doesn't concern me, right? It's just like it's so bad. It's so wicked. I have, you know, I just want to stay far, far away from it. We just want to isolate ourselves from it. But church, I want you to see that you actually have a responsibility over what happens here on earth. You were made to have dominion over the earth. And so I do not want you to neglect this responsibility over it. And this goes, this goes beyond planting trees, okay? This is not a, a, you just have to plant trees and take care of creation. This goes beyond that. It means that we're up to call, we're, we're to work to see all of creation come under Jesus' authority that all of God's created order will come under Jesus. It means that we are to exert effort and actually seek times to proclaim the name of Christ and to bring sinners to submit themselves to their creator. It means, right, too, that we work to see good laws and just laws come to bear so that mankind would actually thrive and that there wouldn't be any obstacles from us actually living as God called us to live. It means that we denounce wickedness and promote God's good order here on earth. It means that we worship God and we call the rest of creation, all mankind, we call them to give glory where it is due, and that is to God, the only one who deserves it. So church, have you been faithful in this? Have you been faithful would you work? Would you work to see Christ glorified in your families, in your classes, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods? May all of creation come under Jesus' feet, and may God use you and your giftings to actually bear that to be, for the world to actually be a place that brings more worship and more glory and more honor to Christ. Do we want that? And that's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you want that? Live as if you want that, because that is what God made you for. So let me conclude with these thoughts. These are five foundational truths about how God made us and who he is and how he's made us to work. And much of the Bible, okay, so much of the Bible depends on the fact that, and the truth that God created all things and has authority over it. And that is why Jesus, when he came 
How did he prove himself to be God? One of the ways in which Jesus proved himself to be God is by proving and showing his authority over all of creation. That is how Jesus showed that he was God himself. He had authority over the seas, over the birds, over everything in creation. Everything submitted to him. But not just in creation. He showed himself in his goodness. He gave of himself. Jesus gave his life. So that if you were to believe on him, that penalty that you were due for not living as God made you to be, for not built, like actually living under the responsibility that he's given you, you don't have to live in bondage to sin, but actually Christ's death has freed you and has given you a way for the penalty to be paid on the cross so that you can actually live for God. So church, do not forget why God made you. Do not ever forget. This is foundational for your week and for the rest of your life. Young ones, even now when you're trying to figure out who you're going to be, recognize, make your world and your life about bringing glory to God and live as God called you to live and how he made you. Don't resent how he made you. Treasure it. And so live and act in a way that proclaims God's glory over all of creation. Pray with me. Most Heavenly Father, these are good truths and such encouraging truths because they encourage us to live as you made us. Uh, Father, we ask for your help. Um, even though these are blessings and uh, they will do us much good and we can reap the benefits of living according to our sex and the clarity and living as you made us with the mission that you've made, given us, Lord. All these things are hard, and so we need your help uh, with these. Would you give us hearts that actually love you and that actually want to first worship you for the way that you made us and how you've saved us? And Father, may that love for you actually continue to grow and overflow so that we would want all of creation to come under, the, under Jesus' feet and worship you and bring you praise. That all of creation, that all creatures would bring glory to our God and our King. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.